This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Pahang Crown Prince Tengku Hassan al-Ibrahim Alam Shah has made environmental conservation a core agenda during his five-year tenure as regent of Pahang. How does the regent view the role of the monarchy in championing the environment balanced against the economic development aims of the state? I sit down with His Royal Highness Tengku Hassan al-Ibrahim Alam Shah al-Sultan Abdullah at the Malaysia Pavilion in Dubai on the sidelines of the UN Climate Change Conference or COP28 to find out. Tuanku, good morning. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Morning, Shazana. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Now, the support of a royal figure for social issues is extremely valuable in boosting the profile and attention towards a particular cause. So you have many siblings. Your sister, Tengku Iman, is an advocate for mental health. You champion the environmental and climate change agenda. I've been wondering, are there discussions within your family on who gets to take the lead on what issue? Is there a bit of a tiff regarding who gets to take what? Oh, I think it's, uh, it's actually up to us um, on whoever is best to do whatever cause. And, you know, the, the, the shining ones will rise. So, like myself, um, I've always been an advocate for environment since I was young. Um, ever since I was a little boy, uh, my parents would bring me to all the districts in Pahang and I would see um, how people live, how people would uh, carry out their daily livelihoods. So um, I've always had an understanding uh, since young and uh, during my military training, it also helped me a lot. Uh, during my map reading, when I went around the forest, did survival camping and all. So. It's really uh, deep-rooted in, in me. Um, as of for my other siblings, I think they are still trying to find the forte. Mm. So um, let's, let's give them some time to shine soon. So in that sense, it's very organic. Everyone has the freedom to really go for whatever issue that yes, they want to exactly. champion, essentially. And you mentioned that you've been um, exposed to environment uh, conservation from very young. There is a perception that members of the royal family can be out of touch. Uh, they can exist in a privileged bubble. So I'm curious to hear more about how you got your grounding on the environment and biodiversity, not least because you've spent a lot of time overseas. But was there maybe an aha moment for you in terms of cementing your desire to really champion uh, the biodiversity of Pahang? Um, yeah, I agree with you. Some, some royals, some other people also can get stuck in their bubble, in their, in their own comfort zone. What really helped me was when I was sent abroad to go study in the UK uh, at a very young age, at 10 years old. Um, before that, uh, first grade to fourth grade, I was in government school in Pahang. So um, I think when I had that aha moment was when in my British uh, education, um, during my geography trips, they, they really showed me how, how much value we had in Malaysia and also the rest of the world. Um, but it, it's also um, more realization when, uh, when I read about history, when I see, okay, why do kingdoms exist? Why do kings exist? You know, from thousands of years ago, and, you know, this is the old way of, um, of a king to really address, uh, land matters, land use matters, which is the old school way. And, um, what I'm doing now, um, uh, addressing the forest reserves, addressing what sustainable uh, practices we should have in Pahang 
I think it's what my ancestors did from thousands of years ago and it's just me repeating history but in the modern era today. I see. So you see it as sort of going back to your roots almost, uh, go, thinking back to what your exactly. predecessors used to do, right? And if we turn to where we are now, we're currently at COP28 in Dubai. This is your third UN climate change conference. You first attended COP26 in Glasgow, then Sham el-Sheikh, now Dubai. So you could be considered a veteran attendee, you know, coming oh, from someone who's here for the young, first time. Still young. <laughs> but I do want to ask you, what is the value of these annual mega congregations? Because it could be seen as a lot of talking, no action. Why is this important then? Uh, well, uh, since my first um, international conference for climate change, COP26, um, I, my, my background is diplomacy and international relations. I used to uh, be based in Geneva for three years um, at Geneva School of Diplomacy. Um, so the, why these annual um, conferences are so important is, you know, all parties from sub-national governments to national governments to private philanthropists, business, everyone is here. And the most important aspect of why these conferences exist is because of the neutrality and protection given to everybody who really wants to voice out for climate change. Mm. Um, I know it's a bit uh, complicated at uh, government level on what the government wants to do. But if you come here for yourself and you see who is here and who's participating, it's actually uh, this, this green wave is actually happening um, since COP26 after COVID lockdown. Talk to me about your observations throughout these three COPs. Have you noticed differences? Is there a change? Is there a shift in the tone or discussions that are taking place throughout the three that you've attended? Well, since COP26, uh, when I went there, I first discovered this new uh, industry called the carbon credit um, uh, industry. It's where uh, when you um, do a business plan, a commercial business plan to conserve an area, um, for conservation and um, eliminating um, extractive industries like logging, mining or building up um, plantations and also not taking care of the hydrology. Mm. So since COP26 until COP28 uh, today, um, there's been um, progress in the, me the financial mechanisms, the private players that's coming together. Uh, more people are putting more money every year into uh, green financing and green opportunities. So mm. it's, a, it's a work in progress. Um, I'm, and I'm sure in 10 years' time with all the climate change conferences, we're going to see uh, more elevation in this climate change aspect. And there's going to be a lot of changes in, in the world. And I think this is a good challenge for humanity to really sit down on this. So on that front, you're not discouraged by the science because I think this COP28, what's really driving it is the fear that we're not going to be able to achieve the targets that were set out in the Paris Agreement. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, concern, a lot of fear that uh, we are going to be exceeding the two degrees Celsius, even 1.5 degrees. Some people say uh, exactly. it's not it's not achievable anymore. Exactly. So how do you think we should navigate those types of Concerns, I suppose. Well, I'm, I'm not discouraged by the lack of progress um, from other parties because, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of um, survival now, you know. Um, those who really want to survive on this earth will do what it takes and what it means to really fight back on this climate change. Okay. Some may not be so progressive, but um, 
it's a matter of like-minded people and really strong people with with the strongest heart and courage to come together and survive together here. So we're going to see those who survive and those who will not survive. Now, you made an important announcement at this year's COP28, Pahang targets to achieve net zero emissions by 2030. Now, I don't think any other Malaysian state has set a net zero goal for itself. We do have national level targets, uh, but for states, I don't think that's that's a thing yet. How much of this was driven by your personal advocacy push? You know, did you have a hand in convincing the government to take this direction? Well, I've I've been um, before I I um, launched this net zero 2030 program initiative. Um, I was speaking to a lot of experts and a lot of um, people from the past and. Um, I've been observing, um, studying Pahang's natural landscapes, uh, how we are, and uh, we've we've come together uh, to a finding where we can see uh, foresee Pahang to be net zero by 2030, and Pahang to be net surplus by 2050. So um, um, I'm not sure what other states have in plan, um, but I know that the state of Sarawak, they've done the anti climate uh, climate change law. And I think this is a, a good first step uh, to, you know, finding other means of how to um, execute this uh, net zero. But in terms of Pahang, um, I'm very excited. It is very um, one of my most ambitious plans for the state and um, to create a good example for Malaysia. Um, why I uh, chose uh, 2030 and not, and not following what the rest of the world is doing, either 2050 or 2070 net zero, um, personally, I think it, I think it's too far for for me or for anybody to plan. Mm. Um, that's why I chose twenty thirty because I see it more realistic. And you also got to bear in mind um, our leadership in Malaysia. What is the system of our leadership, our political system? You know, the the politicians are being voted either every two years or every five years, yeah, depending on either state or federal elections. So. Um, why I chose 2030 is, you know, I'm I'm working with the current political system mm. because um, currently they are on a five-year term or two-year term. So 2030 is very much realistic for me to work with um, because I just don't know if more governments are going to change in the future. So I'll work with what I have today. You're essentially putting a target on yourself, no? Because you've made this announcement. So now people are going to hold you accountable to, to this particular target what are the challenges that you see in pushing this through seven years isn't a long time and as you mentioned a political situation in the country can change there's a lot of dynamics involved what are the obstacles that you see in uh, actually making progress in this net zero goal well the biggest challenge i think is transition and um, there, there, there will be um, unhappy and discontent people from all stakeholders, such as business, um, NGOs, um, politicians, because um, some may not may not understand what this transition is for, um, but some may understand. So, what we what we what we really need to do um, for the next seven years is more engagement, more rapport amongst mm. each other from from the from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top. So we need to have more roundtable sessions where everybody uh, will show what they have on the table, and we will work out a proportional solution for everybody. You know, regardless of where they live, who they are, um, how much money they have, and all it's. The most important thing is people's livelihoods and we all want to live together. 
You talk about bringing everybody together on the same page. I'm wondering from your interactions, why do you think it's so difficult for all these different parties? You've got all the different stakeholders, the government, business groups, civil society. Why is it so difficult for them to not just speak to each other, but also understand each other? I think, I don't know, I just started, uh, I became um, the region Pumankuraja Tukumakota when I was 23, now I'm 28. I don't know what was happening before my time, um, 40 years, 60 years ago. I don't know what the culture was, but, um, but you know, the, um, saying what, from what you were saying, uh, I don't think there's been a strong bridge factor for all these parties. Mm. And so far, last four years, what I've been doing in the districts, especially in Cameron Highlands right now, um, I've, I've been coming, um, uh, inviting everybody to sit with me and actually tell me the truth, tell me the honest truth, like what's happening on the ground, what's happening at the top, what's happening in the middle, and how can I how can I make things more easier? So okay. I don't know how others do it, but the way I uh, operate, the way I do things is um, I get things done. I I do more than talk more. What do you think of views that say? the royal family should stay above that. How much do you think you can get involved in issues of policy, in issues of governance? What is your perspective on that? Um, I mean, uh, by virtue, the, the, the monarchy should stay above um, politics, above policy and all. But when there's not much time to, do, to get things done, I think we have to take the take the courage, take the responsibility to really speak our mind, um, get people to understand what what it is for clarity. Mm. Um, you know, um, but, you know, I, I'll give you an analogy. You know, if our ship is sinking and everybody is just sitting down in the ship, not knowing it's sinking, one of us has to s- announce it. The ship is sinking. So, you know, we have to do what we have to do. For everyone's best interests. All right. Taking taking charge where you can and doing your part, essentially, exactly. in the role that you have. I'm speaking to His Royal Highness Tengku Hassanat Ibrahim Alam Shah, the Regent of Pahang. After the break, we discuss his efforts in tiger conservation and bridging the gaps in climate change education. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar and today on the show, I'm joined by His Royal Highness, Crown Prince Tengku Hassanal Ibrahim Alam Shah, the Regent of Pahang. We're speaking at the Malaysia Pavilion on the sidelines of COP28 in Dubai. I want to talk about your work in tiger conservation. And this year, you announced the establishment of the Al-Sultan Abdullah Royal Tiger Reserve, covering um, over 1,300 square kilometers of forest habitat for wildlife. How much does this move the needle in ensuring a sustainable tiger population? So um, before this, uh, the tiger program that federal government had and the rest of Malaysia had, we had we have two uh, tiger rehabilitation centers, one in Lanchang in Pahang and the other one in Sungkai in Pera. Um, these are facilities, I think, no more than 100 acres. So they're, they're, they're special facilities to actually uh, take care of the tigers. But there's never been a gazettement of a big, large area, like a tiger reserve in Pahang, like what we did. 
to actually house the tigers, to give them a place to live and to give them, to ensure them the protection that they actually need. So I'm very proud that um, the state of Pahang has fully supported me to gazette the area and name it after my father. And it's the first tiger reserve in Southeast Asia. So it's only that's only the beginning. Um, we have more follow-up work, such as um, setting up a real proper uh, ranger patrolling uh, enforcement. Right now, I'm taking Orang Asli and local villages and also ex-veterans from our Malaysian commandos and also other special forces. So... We're, we're building a, a strong unit of real uh, forest rangers and protectors, especially when we're using the real champions um, of, uh, of the forest, which is the Orang Asli. But uh, looking further than that, we need to think bigger than the Tiger Reserve. We need to think bigger than Malaysia and what's really happening on the ground. So we need to address what is our national security on our borders because these illegal poachers are coming in into Pahang and other parts of Malaysia to um, to do sinful deeds. So, and as well as um, uh, they're part of um, illegal syndicates that contribute to the black market within Southeast Asia, Malaysia, and all. So, um, it's it's a work in progress, and I'm I'm very glad that I'm doing this at a young age. It's learning. I think my military training from Sandhurst in, with the British Army helped me a lot on how to coordinate and also manage um, people in rural areas, also urban areas, to get them to understand what is what do we really need to do okay. as a collective. And I see that you're looking at this from a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, You talk about preserving the habitat, but you also talk about uh, the illegal, uh, the cross-border activities that also contribute to the decimation of our tiger yes. population and, and then getting the local communities involved. Um, so you've managed to preserve um, certain swaths of Pahang, uh, gazette to them on the forest reserves or put them on their tiger reserve. Um, and your rhetoric is quite clear, actually. You say that no one should be above the law and anybody uh, should be held accountable if they go exactly. against this and, and harm the environment. But there are actions on the ground that contradict these aims, some from private business groups, uh, some with alleged connections to either the state, the royal family or, or whatnot. Should there be more transparency when it comes to developments that impact the environment in order for accountability to be done? Exactly. There, there should be more transparency. Naturally, on paper, if anybody wants to do anything in Pahang that involves the environment, they need to report this with the governance system that is already set in place. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm only one person. I can say these things to people so that they can have an understanding of what my principles are for the state and what pe how people should carry out um, their livelihoods. But, um, but what we all should really depend on is um, the, on the individual citizen to take the courage to actually promote that transparency, to promote that activism, to, if they see something wrong that happened, you must report it. You know, if you don't report seeing something wrong, you know, you're already doing the wrong thing too. So we need more citizens to be more uh, active and also to really put the everybody accountable for what they did. Okay, so you're all for whistleblowing. You're all for making it, bringing it to the not, light. Not really whistleblowing, not blaming, but... Um, there's a way, you know, there's a way to 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 report this to, to the right relevance. So, you know, um, this is what one example I'm saying and what I'd like to promote, send a message back to 
uh, people back at our home. Mm. You know, if if you see something that's done wrong, don't don't hesitate to find me in Pahang in Kuantan. I I'm not far, and we all live in the same country, and I can help to really get that transparency done. Okay. Now here at COP28, we're among the converted. I think we can agree that everyone here believes in the climate change agenda and wants to see change. Um, but how do we convince the ones that are outside this circle? Sometimes, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta find what, who are they, who they are, first of all, what are they doing? Where are they? You know, why, why, why are they not so convinced compared to others? You know, it's, it's a matter of um, you have to be merciful to how people have lived. Uh, you also have to think about the historical aspect. You know, some nations did what they did because of nation building. You know, like for example, Malaysia, we did the whole Felda program uh, under the late Prime Minister Tun Razak. And we deforested so many forests just to build palm oil plantations. You know, we did what we did to survive and look where we are today. So... Now, you know, uh, you have to, we all have, just have to decide what do we want to do next? Do we want to follow the old way, what we used to do 50 years ago? Or do we want to do something new for the next 50 years? So it's a really, it's a big topical debate amongst everybody. In June, you did announce the Pahang Greening Education Partnership Roadmap 2023-2030, which is supposed to um, empower the younger generation on um, issues. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you see in this program? Yes, that's the Eco Schools um, program. I actually um, discovered them in Shamashe COP27 last year and they showed me all the curriculum, what they do for the whole world and I was, they very much bought me and I, I like their, their standard. Um, so what we intend to do back in Pahang, we've identified about 100 schools in Pahang across and that's including government schools, Chinese schools, Indian schools and all the other relevant schools, Islamic schools too. So what what I wish I had when I was in school and as a young boy, I remember in government school, we were not, there was not much strong emphasis on the education of what climate change is, what is the tree, what is the forest, what's the importance of animals within the forest. Um, every, I remember as a kid, every all the kids were mostly talking about football or rugby. So um, what I intend the, for the impact of these eco schools um, program in Pang is, is so that in 20 years time, when the next generation of leaders, civil servants, business people, um, when they get to an appropriate age to do their own work and live their own lives, um, we will have more people who have that education at the back of their mind. And when they want to do certain developments within the state or at national level, you know, there will be certain considerations that will be naturally um, taken in so that, you know, um, we can minimize um, damages with for the environment or for everybody. Introducing new syllabus into the schools is always a difficult matter. How has the reception been from the school system? So far it's okay. The kids are really happy to see me visiting the schools. Uh, they're excited. Um, the teachers are also... I can say that they're, they're up for the job, they're up for the change. Um, I think uh, every teacher in Pahang is trying to figure out what is their best style of teaching. Mm. So 
um, it's only the first year, only a few months uh, ago. So I'm, we'll, we'll see as it goes. Uh, it's a progressive um, work, this one. All right. So, Anko, you're coming to the end of your term as regent of Pahang. What business remains unfinished for you? What do you wish you had more time to do in the top role? I don't think uh, my my time has ended. Um, it doesn't matter wh- whether I am Pumanku Raja or Tukumakota. Uh, I will still do what I'm doing today. Um, this Net Zero 2030 uh, will still um, continue with blessings of His Majesty, my father. So... Um, uh, I'm I'm excited. I think I have more free time, less duties of the state to actually do more on the ground work with with the people. So I think I will be uh, spending more time with people than doing duties. Okay, so I'm excited. Donku, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for thank speaking you. with me today. Thank you, Shazana. That was the Regent of Pahang, His Royal Highness Tengku Hassan Al Ibrahim Alam Shah. This has been the Breakfast Grill on BFM eighty nine point nine. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.